Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, am solemnly pledged to reveal how the world really works. And one of the ways the world really works is by means of a physical and spiritual interaction. Now, what do I mean by physical? What do I mean by spiritual? This is really, really simple. Do not overthink this. Spiritual does not mean virtuous or good. Spiritual does not mean holy. Spiritual doesn't mean godly. Spiritual means any quantity or commodity that cannot be measured in a laboratory. That's all it means. And there are good spiritual things and there are bad spiritual things. What are, what are examples of spiritual things? Uh, love, respect, esteem, loyalty, honesty, integrity. All of these things are spiritual. Hatred, greed, those are some negative spiritual things. But these are things that cannot be measured in a lab. Here's something else that cannot be measured in a lab. A tune, right? If you run a tune through an instrument... There really is no way for an instrument to distinguish whether that is a beautiful piece of music or whether, in fact, it's just uh, a racket. The fact is that vibrating molecules of air become music only within the brain, within the heart, within the soul. Uh, those are not synonymous terms, but it has to go from the ears into the brain. It has to be processed. And then after that, it is an entirely spiritual thing. Uh, a musical instrument, a piano or a, a violin, those are physical. The tune is, of course, spiritual. Anything that cannot be measured in a laboratory is spiritual. If it can, it is physical. And the really one of the most important aspects of wisdom, one of the most important aspects of understanding how the world really works, is simply recognizing that we live in a duality. We live in a world of both physical and spiritual reality. There are absolutely essential physical prerequisites for life, right? There's uh, oxygen or air, uh, there's water, there's food, uh, there's, uh, that, that's basically it, keeping, keeping our core temperature uh, in the appropriate range. All of those things are uh, our physical needs, and without them, we are in grave peril. There are also spiritual needs that we have, and uh, they are every bit as important. Uh, as one spiritual need is the esteem of other people. If you totally lose the esteem of other people, uh, and this you sometimes find, uh, there have been cases, unfortunately, uh, quite many of plenty of them, uh, of people who have suffered unendurable disgrace and whose families abandon them and whose friends cut off from them. And very often those people die very quickly. Uh, one thing that happens is that they stop taking care of themselves because a great deal of what we do to take care of ourselves is because we are going to be around other people. And this is one of the reasons that uh, uh, people, particularly men, 
who lose their wives and are cut off from their families, they usually don't last very long. And part of it is that they just stop taking care of themselves. There's nobody else around in their lives. So connection with other people, it's spiritual in nature, but its consequences are physical. Uh, Love, esteem, respect, uh, a sense of understanding your place in the world and how to connect with other people and how to gain understanding. All of these are spiritual needs, a connection with God, uh, whether we recognize it or not, everybody needs a connection with the infinite. Everybody deep down has to have a feeling that explains that I am not here on this earth simply to eat and procreate and excrete and die. There is more to my life. There is some meaning to my life. And that need is absolutely fundamental. Uh, people may not recognizing it, may not recognize it as a deep desire for connection with God, but that doesn't matter. That's precisely what it is. And people seek to assuage that hunger for meaning, spiritual hunger for meaning, by all kinds of different activities, all intended to fill that aching void. Okay, so all of that. Um, is a, a crucial part of understanding how the world really works because it enables us to see things that are invisible to materialists. Right? There are people who only see the world in terms of what you can touch or feel or see or eat or wear or drive or measure in a laboratory. And uh, for people like that, uh, well, they live in a world of mystery. They live in a world of bewilderment and befuddlement because there's so much that they cannot understand that goes on around them simply because they don't have a window into spiritual reality and which explains so much of what we see in the world around us. Let me give you uh, an example. Okay, so here is... Uh, here is something that has been discussed for the last uh, three or four years. I've seen people talking about it, and uh, it gets looked at in different ways. But one way you could look at it is imagine somebody entering for the first time a, you know, imagine an intelligent Martian showing up and he visits a, a typical American kitchen in the year 1900. Okay, and what does he see? Well, he sees a, a cast iron apparatus in the corner with a chimney running up from it, and there's a coal fire burning inside of it. And in one part of the kitchen, he'll probably see a sort of water pump with a handle. You, you, you work the handle up and down, and water comes out. Um, the, the, the pump leads to a well. Um, he's going to see a, a box that is kept cool sometimes by means of putting blocks of ice into it and uh and these are basically the things he'll see in a kitchen and uh, then we send him away and ask him to come back in 60 years 1960 he shows up again we take him into another typical american kitchen what does he see now shining appliances, an amazing gleaming white box in which there is cold food and ice and ice cream and all kinds of things. And and then he sees a stove where there's no fire visible. In fact, it seems to put out no heat at all, and yet it cooks. 
and there's a shining uh, sink with faucets that put out cold water and hot water. Look, he's he's pretty impressed. He really is. And, and he says, you know, you people have really progressed in the last 60 years. Now we send him away and we bring him back again in uh, 2010, shall we say. And uh, we bring him into another American typical kitchen. And he looks around and he says, you know, you made a lot of progress from 1900 to 1960. But from 1960 to 2010, I'm not seeing such. I mean, there's one new box in the kitchen. I heard you calling it a microwave. I don't know what it does, but fine. Okay, I'm sure it's wonderful. But otherwise, everything is pretty much the way I left you 50 years ago. What's happened in the last 50 years? Well, uh, we can start talking about durability and warranties and uh, energy efficiency, etc., etc. But uh, I think you'll agree that when push comes to shove, uh, on the surface of it, he sort of seems right. Right? What do you think? And uh, this would be one of those good times to visit my website and uh, use the Contact Us tab to tell me what you think. If you're still busy absorbing this, let's replay the experiment, bringing our Martian onto a Boeing 707, the very first commercial jetliner. All right. 1960, same, same year he was looking at the kitchen. And... Uh, we fly him around, and he is dumb. Well, actually, let's start him off in 1900, shall we? Uh, 1900, there's there's no airplanes yet, right? The Wright brothers haven't had a successful flight yet. And uh, transport is, uh, well, there's some folks trying out hot air balloons and hydrogen balloons. People are trying some of those things, but nothing much is happening, and he's not impressed. 1960, we put him on a Boeing 707, the first jetliner, and you can't stop him bubbling over with excitement and enthusiasm for how far we've come. It's extraordinary. And then we send him away. We bring him back in 2010. I hope you like these kind of thought experiments. In 2010, we bring him back and we put him on a a Boeing 777. And uh, it's a little bit bigger than a Boeing 707. But other than that, he looks around and he's trying to see anything different. And he uh, comes to us officers and he says, you know, you folks, you humans, you did really well from 1900 to 1960. I can't believe everything you did. But uh, since then, in the last 50 years, I'm not seeing anything different. Well, you and I know that uh, reliability has greatly increased. Economics have changed. Uh, The number of weather-caused cancellations has plummeted. Safety has increased. Air traffic control has improved. We know all of those things, but they take a lot of explanation. On the surface of it, though, does he have a point? What do you think? What do you think? I will uh, share a little bit more just as soon as we get back. But uh, first of all, the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, when you go to rabbidaniellappin.com, I want you to take a look at a resource that we've prepared for you on sale right now called Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. And what's terrific about this two-hour program with a study guide is that uh, it 
talks about a stage in human development where in certain verses in Genesis, it talks about uh, different groups of people developing in different neighborhoods, different areas, even different islands, each with their own languages. But then it goes on to chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 9, and there, no, chapter 11 is right, and there we um, uh, we find a, a, con- a, a discussion saying everybody spoke the same language. Well, which was it? Different languages or the same language? What's really going on there? And uh, a little further in the show, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But uh, meanwhile, just think about Tower of Power decoding the secrets of Babel because it's going to be very relevant to everything we're discussing. I am your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Back with you in just a moment. Hello, everybody. We're back. I'm your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And do you mind if we continue our little thought experiment? How would it be if we bring our intelligent Martian back? It's the year 1900. And uh, we, uh, we say to him, look, w- this time we don't want you to vanish for the next 60 years, would you mind just maintaining a constant surveillance of our activities here in the United States over the next 60 years? Uh, we'd really appreciate it, and we'll, we'll talk to you again in 1960, see what you think. So uh, we let him loose, and uh, he looks around, and in uh, 1900, Uh, There are not a whole lot of roads around the United States. Uh, There are some tracks. Um, Most of them are really just the wagon tracks that had been used for for 200 years already. Uh, And that's why, particularly on the East Coast, there are many roads that today, even though they're black-topped and uh, straightened, some of them are still known as, you know, the uh, the such-and-such road to from here to there or the farm to market road or whatever it is because they all they did was they they had trails that uh, were used by people on horses and then in wagons and little by little they began to use them for cars but how many cars were there in the united states in 1900 um, the answer is uh, somewhere around about um, 10,000. It was actually a little less than that, but in round numbers, uh, there were 10,000 cars in the United States. Now, uh, to give you an idea, the population in 1900 was 75 million. So right now, we're about 330 million in the United States. So uh, back in 1900, only 75 million and call it about 10,000 cars. So roughly one in seven or 8,000 people had a car. Very different from today, right? Cars were rare. Uh, about uh, a quarter or a third of the cars were operated with gasoline. So this is still a very early experimental period. Roughly speaking, a third of the cars were operated with steam power. A third of them were actually electrical, believe it or not. And a third of them were gasoline. None of them worked very well indeed. Again, to put this into context, uh, we're still 13 years away from the very first Henry Ford assembly line and the Model A and the Model T. And so at this point, cars are being assembled by hand. 
they're laborious, they're expensive, they're unreliable, and there really are not too many of them at all. And uh, what happens by 1960? By 1960, almost every family in America has a car. Many of them have two cars. And what has happened? As he's watched during these years, he'll have noticed that General Pershing, uh, who uh, was famous in World War I and World War II, was actually also famous in between the wars for laying out a highway system, which they began to build. And later on, during the Eisenhower years in the uh, 1950s, it began to be called the interstate highway system. But there were tens of thousands of miles of highway constructed while our, our Martian is watching during these 60 years. And he is breathless with excitement as he watches, as his amazed eyes gaze on the American landscape, he just sees thousands and thousands of miles of highway stretching out and adding on and growing like like snakes that just get bigger and bigger and bigger all across the country coast to coast from canada to mexico it's an amazing 60 years and the cars pour off the assembly lines to fill those roads and he is watching the most extraordinary 60 years now we ask him to watch again from 1960 to 2010, or 2020, if, if you like. Uh, it doesn't make much difference. And what's changed? Not a whole lot. Huge numbers of miles of roads, highway, added in the first 60 years, and very little added in the next 60 years. All roads get widened, and a, you know, a couple of toll roads get added in, but all the, the famous parkways and throughways, particularly on the East Coast, these were already built before, before 1960. But wait, that's not all. There's more. He watches in San Francisco during these 60 years as the city rebuilds from an earthquake and becomes this busy, bustling, huge city and there's a port across the bay in Oakland. And what's more, he watches this astonishing Golden Gate Bridge being thrown across from San Francisco to Marin. And uh, then he watches a huge bridge crossing the bay from west to east San Francisco to Oakland. And he thinks to himself, this is incredible. Is anything like this happening on the East Coast? And he runs over to the East Coast, well, because he is a Martian, see? And uh, what does he see there? He sees the George Washington Bridge being flung across the Hudson River. And he watches an, an incredible tunnel being dug from New Jersey into Manhattan. And they call it the Holland Tunnel. And a couple of years later, they build the Lincoln Tunnel under the Hudson River. By the way, these two tunnels take like two and a half, three years to build. Do you hear what I'm saying? Same as the Golden Gate Bridge. And then he watches, and uh, as we're coming to the end of this period, uh, up till 1960, coming close to the end, he watches the Verrazano Bridge get uh, flung across New York Harbor from Staten Island to uh, Brooklyn. And it's just incredible. 
and I'm just talking about New York and, and San Francisco, but meanwhile, huge bridges are being thrown up across rivers in the center of the country, railway bridges are being built, road bridges are being built. It's extraordinary. He watches in utter amazement. And while he watches New York during these 60 years from 1900 to 1960, he watches the Empire State Building going up and the Chrysler Building going up and and just these huge monstrous skyscrapers being built one after the other, reaching for the heavens. And it's it's all pretty amazing. But wait, that's not all. There's more. You know what else he sees being built? Dams. Grand Coulee Dam, Bonneville, um, Hoover Dam, and that's just, you know, the just some of the big ones, but huge numbers of enormous dams being put across rivers, and all of a sudden, there's drinking water without limit, there's agricultural water without limit, and electricity production. All of a sudden, cities turn light all night, and he cannot believe the transformation that he watches take place in the United States of America in only 60 years. Cars, roads, bridges, buildings, dams. He cannot believe his eyes. And he cannot wait to see what will the next 60 years bring. And what do the next 60 years bring? Well, pretty much nothing. You know what the next 60 years bring when it comes to roads? Not a whole lot. What do the next 60 years bring when it comes to bridges? Nothing. Uh, a number of bridges fall and collapse, by the way, just through no ma- through lack of maintenance. But uh, he's a Martian, and he doesn't understand that uh, socialist city governments do not spend money on maintenance. They spend money on benefits and salaries and pay and expanding numbers of people on their payrolls. But maintenance is never tackled by socialist governments. Never happens. Not in in, in Russia, not in Cuba, and not in the United States. So uh, he watches from 1960 to 2010. No bridges, no roads. Now, dams, a funny thing happens. The total number of dams dwindles. He notices them demolishing dams. And he's baffled by this all. Huge buildings, nah, nothing much. And when anything big is tackled, like the ridiculous so-called big dig in Boston, it, it nothing gets built in three years anymore. 30 years and still counting. Now, that's more like it. But all the vitality and the excitement, the development, the growth, the building, it's all gone. It all happened 1900 to 1960. And from 1960 onwards, very little happens. What on earth could be happening? What is going on? Now, you'll remember, of course, that uh, I generally point to 1960, 1961, particularly 1962, as a period of major spiritual change in the United States of America. But wait, is your rabbi going to suggest that when spiritual decline occurs, they stop building bridges and tunnels and highways and dams? Is that what you are really expecting us to believe? 
Well, I'll give you a few moments to uh, catch your breath on that. Think about it. And uh, maybe you'll want to drop me a note. I sure would like to know what you think, because this is a big topic. And uh, the way to do that, my website, very simple, has a contact us tab. And uh, you can send me a note. Let me know what you think. Uh, You can also do that uh, where you listen to the the podcast. Um, You can also go to my uh, Facebook page, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. You can go to my Twitter page at at Daniel Lappin. And I want to know what you think, because it's rather striking, is it not? Uh, 1900 to 1960. Wow! It's so exciting. You, you, you can barely keep your eyeballs in your head. You don't want to blink for fear of missing anything. 1960 to 2010. Blah. You can go to sleep and wake up. You're not going to miss anything. That's what it looks like, isn't it? The website is rabbidaniellappin.com. That's right, R-A-B-B-I, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, right there, you'll see we've prepared a resource for you, specially priced for you, called Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. That's right. You see, uh, one of the things that happens is that early on, Uh, we find that a number of languages seem to develop as people evolve. And then we come to chapter 11, and there it says everyone's speaking one language. Ah, but wait. Ancient Jewish wisdom has two words for language. The first word is more like dialect. So everybody can communicate with one another, but they all have their own language idiosyncrasies. You know, they have different accents. They have different words in in much the same way that uh, people um, in some states had one word for uh, uh, fizzy drinks, whereas in another part of the country, they had another word for it. In one part of the country, they had one word for busy highways. In another place, they called it something else. But basically, everybody spoke English around the United States. Everyone pretty much got, well, that was the gist of it. And then comes the Tower of Babel, and all of a sudden, uh, everyone is reduced to separate tribes. Is it possible that America is devolving back into tribes? Wow. I'll tell you more about that as soon as we come back here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show in just a moment from now. We're back, everybody. Thank you for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And thank you, especially uh, those of you who take the trouble to help promote the show introduce new people to the show send a url encourage others to listen get to know the show thank you very much indeed Uh, those of you who uh, on facebook uh, send the uh, write-up on each new show to friends of yours in all the varied and many different ways in which those of you who've been active in this area continue to do so i remain deeply indebted to you and i really appreciate it And so uh, back with our visiting Martian who watches not only how many cars uh, were on the road in 1900 and how it exploded from maybe 10,000 cars at most uh, to millions of cars on the road by 1960. What an amazing growth. But you know what else? He went for rides in some of those cars and he watched what the cars were like. And he noticed how quickly they got pneumatic tires, and he watched 
how they quickly switched from clashing gearboxes to synchro mesh gearboxes so you could change gears smoothly even though the two gear shafts were spinning at different speeds again some of you appreciate that some of you don't doesn't matter and uh, and then he watches the most amazing development of all automatic transmission uh, Buick had their hydroglide before that uh, Oldsmobile General Motors put together a uh, 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 an automatic transmission for the Oldsmobile in about uh, 1930, thereabouts. That's a long time ago. 1940, many, many cars were already being sold with automatic transmission. Um, radios in the cars, etc., etc. I mean, and then he looks at the development of cars by 1960, and then he looks to see what's happened since then. And yes, the displays have become digital, and, uh, and and there are all kinds of gadgetry, but have the cars really changed that much? Can you even begin to compare the technological development from 1900 to 1960 in the shaping of the automobile to what happened from 1960 to 2010? It's like we've been standing still for the last 50 years, no? Right? Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, we're going to have uh, autonomous self-driving cars soon. It's, you know what? Let's wait to see that happen. i got to tell you, uh, I remain somewhat skeptical about that. I know some of you are going to be surprised because I have usually been so incredibly spot on with my predictions. How can I possibly be skeptical about uh, autonomous co- well actually i am but that's a different topic meanwhile however they're not here to be seen and so our visiting martian looks at a car sold in 2018 and he says you know what i just don't see that it's that different from a car that i saw in 1960 i just don't see a huge difference more fuel efficient fine okay fine uh, but other than that you know hard to see so the question is, is he right? Is it true that somehow or another everything stopped in 1960? And the answer is obviously not, because in 1960 there was no internet, and there were no computers, and there were no cell phones, and all of that is between 1960 and 2010. So how do we explain what appears to be uh, a a bit of a dichotomy here, where on the one hand, you were probably agreeing with me earlier on in the show that in certain ways it looks like the United States went to sleep in 1960, and the, the changes have been incremental and insignificant. Basically, everything exciting that ever happened in this country happened by 1960 in terms of construction and excitement and all the things I spoke about. Whereas um, from 1960 to now, okay, well, wait a second. Wait a second. It's not quite like that. Take a look at the advances in medicine. Uh, There are surgeries that are now done routinely that nobody had any idea of in 1960. There are medicines and medications that nobody had any dream of. There's biotechnology that helps people in pain. Uh, Extraordinary things. We didn't have them in 1960. We have, uh, in the world of dentistry, we have um, 
the remarkable thing called implants and that's just one of the ma- amazing things in dentistry all of these things are post 1960 they're between 1960 and 2010 so how do you explain it and uh, i know that some of you already are laughing because you see the answer staring at you and others of you are just about there and if i remain silent for a minute or two uh, you'd come right up with it yourself and now that i'm going to tell you you're going to slap your heads and say oh, of course I, we see that the answer is that everything that required government all those big projects where you required functioning government to smooth things to make it possible for these constructions to take place all of that stopped in 1960 but everything that depended on private individuals doing the work sitting in silicon valley coming up with ideas uh, bill gates sitting first in new mexico and then in seattle and uh, all of these people um, individually well that didn't stop in 1960 all that stopped was things that required huge levels of cooperation between many americans that ended see it and so innovation that could be accomplished by small groups in the private sector individual inventors technologists uh, scientists uh, biologists uh, uh, small companies all of that continued churning ahead but by 1960 it became utterly impossible to overcome the tribalism in the united states everybody had their own interests and that disease has only spread further the tribalism has spread to the point where you've got the environmentalists tribe and you've got the uh, the pro-business tribe and you've got the uh, native american tribes and you've got this tribe and that tribe and the other tribe and they're all looking out for only their own interests and doing everything they can to see things only through their own narrow self-interested eyes and in that kind of nation in that kind of society there will be no highways interstate or not there will be no new dams built there will be no huge bridges there will be no incredible structures and brave projects it just won't happen because we are now no longer one nation under god or not we're just no longer one nation it cracks me up every time i hear another misleading and misinforming politician saying the american people that's ridiculous it's been years already there hasn't been such a thing as the american people has there so what happens where does this all go well of course the best clue to all of this comes from ancient jewish wisdom or specifically tower of power decoding the secrets of babel go to the website rabbi daniel and uh order yourself a uh a program you can download it you can get it right away uh, or you can have it shipped to you whatever you prefer it's two hours of uh, insight into how the world really works
and uh, all of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. Back with you in only a minute or two. Don't go away. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. We're back again, and thank you for being a loyal listener, a devotee, and yes, maybe even a promoter of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. All enormously appreciated. Um, as is the uh, opportunities you take to connect with me. I love connecting, and whether it's on uh, on uh, any of the sites that allow you to make comments, you know I read them all. You'll see I very often respond. Facebook, Twitter, over there as well, and most of all on our own website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, love to know what you're thinking of as you're listening to the show and if you listen all the way through, what you're thinking about when we get to the end. Well, let us be sure that to say that there's been no development in the motor car in the last 50 years, well, that's simply not true. Uh, I don't know. I mean, some of us probably remember the days when you used to have to take your coin for a tune-up. Do you remember that? Do you remember having to change the points clean the points, uh, redo the timing, adjust the distributor, change the spark plugs. Do you remember the word tune-up? Do you realize that today a young generation of car buyers actually has no idea what the word tune-up means because you don't have to do it. You buy a reasonable, high-quality, ordinary car today and you don't have to do anything to it for tens of thousands of miles? It's pretty extraordinary, you know. And so, yes, to our Martian, it may look like the car hasn't changed very much, in the same way that to the Martian, it may look like commercial aviation hasn't changed much since the Boeing 707 in 1960. But there really, there really have been changes behind the scenes. And uh, when we look at developments in uh, electronics and communication, why it's it's pretty extraordinary. But then we discussed that in the last segment, and uh, you understand quite clearly that uh, what's changed is that we have become tribalized in America. And so you've got different tribes who look after their own interests, and some of them are very powerful. Some of them have made entry into the tribe almost a public requirement. If you do not pay homage to the tribe of the environmentalists, why, you are a bad person. And who wants to be a bad person? Because you remember, I told you a little bit earlier, that one of the deep spiritual needs we all have is to feel that there's more to us than just material consumption and dying. And part of that is surrounding ourselves with a, a cloak of virtue. And if that is not going to be supplied through biblically-based Judeo-Christian faith, well, then it's going to be supplied by environmentalism. And that's why the only way to really understand what environmentalism is all about is to see it in terms of a religious faith. And then it'll all make sense. And that's why. And that's why that it is almost impossible for anybody to get a deep understanding of how the world really works if they don't 
have any insight into spiritual reality because it's through that spiritual lens that so much of the destructive tribalization we watch happening is in fact visible now if you listen to the tribe of the environmentalists they will tell you that uh, we must start taking down dams and by the way they're full of internal inconsistencies because if you tell the people the tribe that wants dams to come down that the only way to make up for the missing electrical generating capacity is uh, to build another coal or gas-fired electrical generating center they'll be happy with that and the people who live near there and don't want that, well, that tribe won't be happy with that. And it's possible that this standoff will make sure that absolutely nothing happens at all. And then you've got uh, California beset by water shortage and by some of the highest electrical rates in the nation. And so we make a simple calculation. Uh, we take all the snow that falls on the western slopes of the Sierra and we imagine that we can capture one percent of it by building a few dams and then we assume that there'll only be one percent efficiency of that lot and still with all of that the electrical generating capacity that that would produce would be able to and should lower the electrical costs of everybody in california to a negligible amount but it won't happen because it requires violating the religious dogma of environmentalism, which is now not about building dams, but about, it's about dismantling dams. But that's what happens because when you strip away the binding power of Christianity, that is what built the United States of America in the first place, what you're left with is, well, the 11th chapter of Genesis, the Tower of Babel and the tribalization of a culture. That's what happens, and I explain it at great length in the audio program I'll tell you about in a few minutes. So, yes, indeed, uh, what took place spiritually in 1962 and again I, I just remind you that it doesn't have to be exactly 62 that's just a convenient year it's the year of the supreme court decision taking uh, making prayer in public school unconstitutional uh, it's the birth control tablet coming on the market it's just a change in the culture it's a beginning of secularization of america and uh, yeah well not surprisingly, those things do impact the ability of a country to build. Yes, dams, towers, buildings, uh, bridges, everything. All of that changes. And if, God forbid, the time should arrive when the decline of America becomes irreversible, I can assure you that like the decline of other civilizations before us, it will not be because our cars haven't developed faster speeds. It won't be because we don't have autonomous cars. It won't be because we don't have supersonic airlines. But wait a sec. Why don't we have supersonic airlines, right? 
the Concorde had certain built-in problems, but don't you think Boeing could build an absolutely safe and reliable and perfect supersonic airline? Sure they could. Are they going to? Not at all. Why? Technological problems? No! Sociological problems, political problems, sociopolitical problems. That's all. And so, if the day should ever come, heaven forbid, that America approaches the end of its day, my friends, it won't be because we don't have supersonic planes. It won't be because uh, we don't have autonomous cars. It won't be because we can't build smaller integrated circuits. No, it'll be for spiritual reasons of tribalism. It will be that we've lost our cohesion. And you only have to go back to watch the decline of other empires before us, Greece, Rome, and uh, particularly uh, the British Empire, and you will see in all cases, it was never a case of murder from the outside. It was always suicide from the inside. And sadly enough, part of what modern communication technology is doing is breaking us into tribes. It's not that long ago, again, you know, going back to 1962, all of America used to watch the same news every night on the same networks. They used to watch the same entertainment. And if nothing else, strangers were able to get together on the bus to work talking about last night's episode of That Girl or whatever it was. People were American. The damage that was wrought by the 1965 Immigration Reform Act, the damage that was wrought by the secularization of the country during the 60s. None of that had happened yet. And so back then you could talk of the American people. The problem is spiritual, not physical. And that's why it is that the repair can only be a spiritual repair because you cannot repair a spiritual ailment with a physical medicine. You can only repair physical ailments with physical medicines, and you can only repair spiritual ailments with spiritual medicines. And this, by the way, is why it is that I am part of the American Alliance of Jews and Christians, because I believe that civilization today, which is the manifestation of a biblical worldview is imperiled by a strange and bizarre brotherhood between Islam and secularism. They both hate the civilization that the Bible built. And therefore, the cure, I believe, can only come about by Jews and Christians standing shoulder to shoulder, defending everything that unified us into a people and defending everything that made us great. A clearer picture of all this can surely be seen in the, the Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. It's a two-hour audio program and study guide, which you can read about on the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Have you written that down? Yeah, you probably have, rabbidaniellappin.com. And take a look at the Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. I think you'll enjoy it, and uh, I know you'll gain from it. I know you'll be able to help uh, build more of a brotherhood of like-minded people in your family, in your community, in your circle, in your orbit. All of that uh, can just make life more pleasant. 
So using the tools in our audio program, Tower of Power, go ahead and do that. And above all, stay in touch. Let's know how you're doing. I really am interested. I I think of this not so much as our tribe at all, but uh, our community in a sense, not one that separates us from other people in any way whatsoever, but uh, one in which we share at least aspects of how we look at the world and how we seek to understand how the world really works. I want to wish you a fantastic week of good health and prosperity. And so until next week, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.